Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 455. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to the podcast, Doug Goldstein, author of The Inheritance Book and my co-podcaster on the Money Tree Investing Podcast. Hey, Thank you welcome so much, to the show, Linda. Real, real pleasure to be here. Hey, it's great to have you here. I want to talk with you about your new book, The Inheritance Book, because I think this is a really important topic for people, and I wanted to hear what you had to say. First of all, why you know, did you write in this my, book? In my day job as a financial advisor, being that I don't spend all my time doing podcasting, I, uh, I find that this is one of the topics that either people really like talking about or they hate talking about it. And when eventually everyone has to talk about it, because we all got two parents and eventually we're going to have to deal with it. If people haven't really dealt with it much, they, they find themselves in such a whirlwind. They're in such a tizzy. And unfortunately, so often they get swept up and make awful, awful decisions. And it's usually because there's some sort of emotional turmoil, which, of course, you would expect. And, uh, you know, and they feel pressure to make decisions. They don't have checklists. They don't know what to do. It's their first and probably their first of two times ever dealing with this. And, you know, because they don't have the experience, hopefully they end up on the doorstep of a financial advisor or a lawyer who really walks them through the process. But the reason I wrote the book was I said, you know, I've spoken to so many people literally through my, uh, in my office and through my books and my podcasts and my newspaper articles. You know, I think I've probably reached tens or hundreds of thousands of people telling them what to do. And I just wanted to get it out there. So really in a simple way, people would, you know, it happens. I, I don't even want to say, God forbid someone dies because everyone's going to go. It's that in taxes. But I want the, the readers to say, okay, I remember Doug Goldstein wrote this book. Let me see what I have to do first. And they just get the checklist and, and get working. Oh, that's good. Making it easier for people. Aren't inheritances a good thing? Why is there an issue with inheritances? Well, is there a uh, when people get a lot of money, that, that often ends up leading to a lot of problems. So you know, believe it or not, and in fact, I think I've heard you say this too, so I know you believe it, that when people win the lottery, they go bankrupt often within a couple of years. The vast majority of them do. And similar things happen when people get inheritances. They're so not used to having this amount of money that they begin to say, well, you know, maybe I could buy a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And, you know, I had a client who was in, uh, they were middle-aged. They received over $2 million in an inheritance. We did a whole big financial plan, showed that they would have enough money for the rest of their life if they just you know, continued working and could retire early. And what they do? They took out $50,000 just to spend on a few things. And you think, so what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. The big deal was three months later when they took out another $50,000. And every three months, they took out $50,000 and sometimes more. And the interesting thing is now these people are, are possibly not even going to be able to be my client anymore because they're not going to make our minimum. And it's because they didn't know how to handle the inheritance and they absolutely didn't want to listen to some some wisdom about, hey, take it easy and go slowly and save and invest and let compound interest be your friend. Mm, yes, I think it's about 70% of people oh, <laughs> lose their lottery winnings within five years. So it is a real issue and you kind of just described how that happens. 
it's funny how often I'll get a call from someone who says, yeah, my, you know, my father passed away. So I'm so sorry. When? Thursday. <laughs> like, really? And you're calling me? Well, why are you calling me? Well, I saw you in the newspaper. So that, that's not the time to be calling the financial advisor. That's the time to pretty much be doing nothing. Why? Because you've got to deal with family. You've got to deal with funeral arrangements. You've got to deal with all the personal issues. Let the money stuff go, you know, sit on the sidelines for a while. In rare occasions, there's something urgent you have to do, like there might have been some huge debt that needs to be paid, or perhaps uh, not a, something you necessarily have to deal with that day, but in the very near future, if the, the person you're inheriting money from might have only had like one stock in his whole portfolio, you know, $3 million in one stock, that's a pretty risky situation. and That's something you might want to deal with quickly. So my, my excuse, if you're not going to do nothing, which I really think is the preferred thing to do first, is deal with the, the emergency issues. And if you're going to do that, have a financial planner advise you, not your friends, not your barber, and not your doctor. Doctors are notoriously poor investors, so <laughs> don't want to get advice from them. Uh, sit back and then deal with the urgent things first, and then start working on a long-term financial plan. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. When people come to you and they've yeah, inherited a portfolio, it's kind of do weird. you find we call that they that, get attached uh, to the things in that portfolio? <clears throat> we they call that inheritance them. loyalty syndrome. What happens is that people inherit money, like you know, maybe from their grandfather, and he he loved the stock market, and he picked a few stocks, and you know, the portfolio literally might be four million dollars, and three million of those dollars might all be in you know six stocks. And the person says, well, you know, grandpa loved those companies. He used to talk about them all the time. It would be so disloyal of me to sell them. And the fact is, it's not disloyal at all, especially, for example, let's say you're the widow and you need to have the money in order to, to, to buy a ticket into a, a, a senior facility where you want to live. If you have all the money in just a few stocks and they crash, your dreams will be shattered that is surely not what your husband had wanted or you know not not what your grandfather had wanted he didn't he didn't necessarily say i'm going to to control these assets from the grave he he built up the wealth during his lifetime and now he's passing it to you you have loyalty to to do the right thing with the money and to take care of it to be a good steward of the inheritance but that does not mean that you have to have a specific attachment to any one investment you can be sure that you know, you may love a stock, but the stock doesn't love you back. It doesn't go both ways. Think about your own interests, set up your own proper financial plan, and you certainly don't have to hold the investments just because someone else did before. Yeah. And now you need the investments maybe to do a different objective. When you inherited it, you might have been one of 12 beneficiaries. And so he had the, the luxury of investing very aggressively because he wasn't worried about it. Maybe he also had a pension, whereas for you, you might actually need to get monthly income from a portfolio. It's a totally different type of account. And by the way, for Americans, when they inherit stocks that maybe someone held with the huge capital gains, as far as taxes go, and you know, please don't take this as individual tax advice, but in general, when someone passes away, his, his estate gets what's called a stepped-up cost basis. And what that means is, uh, let's use the example I was mentioning before. Let's say the grandfather had paid $100,000 for these stocks, and when he died, they were worth $6 million. Had he sold them a week before he died, he would have had to pay capital gains tax on $5,900,000, all of that capital gains. But the day that he died, the cost basis gets reset to the $6 million, the value it is then. So if his heirs at that point sell the portfolio, it's as if 
the stocks were bought at $6 million and sold at $6 million, and there would not be a capital gains tax. Now, this, by the way, I'm only talking about an American scenario. As, as I hope you know, I work with people who live outside the United States who have U.S. investment portfolios. But if you live, let's say, where I live in Israel, then the, the, there may be other taxes involved in the situation. So make sure you get you know, personalized tax advice. Absolutely. And Doug, back before anyone even passes away, we need a so, will. I simply can't comment on all of the 50 states. I know that in Israel, the law is that if someone dies intestate, which means without a will, if someone dies intestate, then basically half of his money goes to his spouse and half of his money gets distributed amongst his children. So you can imagine a very awkward situation where people didn't know this was going to happen and they thought that, no, it's no problem. When I die, my wife will get the money and then... Uh, you know, when she dies, the kids get the money. And all of a sudden, the wife becomes partners with the kids, maybe in the house, or maybe in the stock portfolio. And that's not what was intended. And that can create huge, huge animosity or anger in the family that could have been so easily solved if the people had had just written the will. It is one of the easiest things to put off till tomorrow. And then when you wake up tomorrow, you're like, huh, that was easy. I'll put it off until tomorrow again. And you just keep doing it. It's like, uh, it's certainly one of those things that just people aren't really interested in dealing with, but it's a huge mistake at, at all ages because let's say that you're a young married couple and you know you have a kid. The will is, is in part for the money, which obviously that, that's the area that I focus on with people. But you know, let's say you have a kid. If both parents should pass away, who should raise the child? Who should it go to? If you don't write that down, it's going to be up to the local judge to decide what he thinks should happen with that child. And is that really the way you want your assets to be taken care of? And similarly, as you get older and, and uh, statistically you are more likely to pass away, you have more of a need to clearly state what you want to happen. It's just more complicated, by the way, when someone dies without a will. And one of the things that I've seen in our financial planning practice is that we deal with the practicalities of money passing from one generation to the next. And when I mean the practicalities, I'm not talking about the lawyers who they're kind of dealing with the theory and they write the wills, but they don't actually you know, get down and dirty and have to literally open new accounts and move money from here to there. And it's much, much easier, I can tell you, when there is a will in place. So I really think it's a good idea that everyone sit down with a spouse or a friend and talk about what your wishes are, and then go to a lawyer and have them actually properly written out so that uh, what you want to happen actually happens. How many assets does someone need to have in order to need a will? Let's divide up the different types of assets that there actually are, because there are assets that people own in their own name, like a brokerage account or a bank account or a house or uh, gold coins or you know, a, a collection of rare puppets. And then there are the assets which you might have in your uh, retirement account, like an IRA or a 401k. And the reason I'm separating between those two types of assets is that assets that are in retirement accounts or annuities or any sort of account like that where, where there is a beneficiary listed on the account document, you then actually don't need to have a will because, you know, let's say someone has a, a, an IRA and he passes away. When he opened the IRA, hopefully the broker asked him, uh, if you die, who would you like to get the money? And he says, well, I'd like my wife to get it, but if she predeceases me, then I'd like it to be equally divided amongst my seven children. And he writes down the names of the children. That actually goes very smoothly. It's the other assets which are a little more complicated, like the brokerage account. So I don't have a specific number, but you know, once you have any assets that you're concerned about, that's when I think you should write a will. And and by the way, just just take note that writing a will, it shouldn't be a very expensive process. 
literally, if you've thought about what you want to happen, sitting with the lawyer for an hour or two and he writes the will, if you have normal estate, I'm not talking about people with complex issues, but a normal estate, it, it really shouldn't be a very pricey endeavor. And so certainly I wouldn't not do it because you don't want to pay the, the legal fees. And if you have any questions or comments or concerns, I deal with people who live outside the United States who want to have U.S. investment accounts like IRA accounts or brokerage accounts. And you can contact me through the website there, profile-financial.com. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks so much, Linda. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.